Hi, this is Tom Vanderark. Welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. We have a special uh, coronavirus episode today. Uh, we're living through some crazy times now in America and around the world. There's there's probably 30 or 40 million young people that are out of school as we record, uh, which is putting just enormous stress on parents and communities uh, here and abroad. Um, today we have with us uh, Rachel Wigglesworth. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Tom. Rachel is going to uh, provide some advice on uh, learning at home. Uh, Rachel has, uh, has a really interesting background. She trained as a biologist and then did a master's in uh, zoology and physiology. Rachel, you did that at the University of, of Wyoming, right? That's right. Yep. Did you meet a young man named Nate McLennan during that uh, during that degree? Uh, just prior to that degree, we met at the Teton Science Schools, yes, in Wyoming. So our our good friend Nate McLennan, um, Nate and I just wrote a book together called The Power of Place. Nate, are you hanging around in the background there? Yeah, I'm here as well, Tom. Good to be back on the show. Um, we will come back to you and we'll talk a little bit about what... Um, what teachers and, and schools can be doing, but but feel free to dive in with uh, parenting ad, advice. But after um, after degrees in, in biology and zoology, um, Rachel went on and earned a master's degree in uh, family education and has a, a teaching certificate in parent education. Rachel's been working with families and uh, mothers for more than 15 years. And about four years ago, she launched Growing Great Families, uh, which is a really uh, terrific uh, parenting, coaching, and consulting uh, organization. So Rachel, we're, we're really excited to, to dive in and try to give parents some um, uh, real-time advice on how to deal with a really uh, difficult and challenging circumstance. Um, Rachel, I'll add that my daughter, Caroline Vander Ark, is here. Caroline's the president of Getting Smart. She's also the mother of a nearly one and nearly uh, five-year-old. So this is a, a live uh, issue at her home as well. Welcome, Caroline. Thank you. Yeah, excited to dive into this and to get some real-time advice, not only for our listeners, but for my own family. This was day one for you yeah. of having uh, having daughter at home and yep. uh, trying to figure out new, new uh, learning and parenting protocols. So, uh, Rachel, let's let's dive in and um, maybe we can start with the origin story of uh, growing great families. Yeah, you know, um, I started this work because I I came to a place where I, I just deeply care about kids and and who they become as adults, um, and the myriad of experiences that that melds together to create the adult a child becomes. And uh, parenting can be super hard. Um, raising kids can be hard. And in order to support families, to me, it started with uh, supporting parents. Um, and helping them give kids the best opportunity to grow into capable, resilient, responsible adults uh, who can thrive in the world beyond the, the four walls of our home. Um, 
so that's that's basically where it started. And of course, it also started just from being a parent myself, raising two kids who are now 13 and 15, loving them to death. But also it's challenging. It's hard. It's hard to raise kids. So, Rachel, let's um, let's dive in and start with a tough question. What what in the world does uh, a parent or guardian do when a, a shock like this happens and kids <laughs> are suddenly at home? What's the first thing to do? Well, obviously, the first thing is not to panic. Um, you know, when I think about this, I think about the variety of different types of families and family structures that uh, are across the nation and the variety of different needs that each family can have. Um, whether families are able, or at least one of the parents is able to stay at home with the kids, uh, whether they can work from home, whether they need to leave home uh, and find care for their kids, if their kids are, you know, zero to five, or if they're 13 to to 18, um, it's going to be very, very different. And so, um, it's really starting out by sitting down and figuring out what your individual family's needs are. Um, and that's going to be different, like I said, for every family. And it's also really important to listen to what the kids have to say. So what are the children's needs and what are your needs and how do you work together to, um, to get those needs met? Um, you know, we could think about this as a job and a task and, um, something to overcome, but I also want to think about it as an opportunity. Um, this is an opportunity for our families to, uh, take a step back if we can, um, and really to uh, spend time with each other, um, connect with each other, um, and teach our kids some responsibilities uh, and some self-motivation, um, because they're going to need to be doing some of these things on their own if we are away from the home working or if we are having meetings in the home virtually uh, and have to get work done. So uh, that's the big picture right now. Hey, Rachel, uh, in an earlier blog that uh, that you guys wrote for GettingSmart.com uh, on, on screen time, you suggested mm -hmm. starting out with a family meeting and using a family meeting as a time to create some new agreements. It sounds like this might be a good time to hold a family meeting. For sure. I mean, if you haven't done it already, and I imagine many families have, but I would sit down, like I said, what what does each individual need? And what do they want to get out of this time? I mean, th this could be months, you know, a month just to a couple of months. We just don't know. Um, and how are we going to get those needs met? So what are the routines that we might want to create? Um, how are we going to get our schoolwork done? What if the parent has a meeting at two o'clock um, and can't be disturbed? Um, so all of those things need to come together. Uh, school time you know, is a almost eight hour day in, you know, various schools. But I don't think that that is going to take that school work is going to take that much time in the home. So how are we going to fill that time for our kids or how are the, our kids going to fill that time for each other? So coming out with some structures, um, some routines, um, you know, for each family, it's going to be different. Do the kids need to get dressed or can they hang out in their PJs for part of the day? Um, can we listen to what our kids actually want or need and be okay with it? Um, so those are some things to start with. And I think, you know, as we're talking about screens, 
because a lot of the learning is going to be happening online, um, our kids' faces are going to be in computers uh, for a good part of the day. Um, but the screens and the devices and the gaming and the social media are also going to occupy some of their time. And it's to be, you know, really honest, it's what we as parents are going to use so that we can get some work done as well. Um, so I think it's important to be realistic about the screen time that our kids have. We don't want to uh, let them completely loose, but we also want to be realistic that we may have to uh, loosen our standards to some extent. Rachel, this is, I, I really appreciate that point too. And I think one of the things that we've been having a discussion about as a family is um, creating a routine and structure, but also being flexible about it and understanding yeah. every day might look different. So we can go in and say, this is what the week might look like. This is what our days might look like. Um, but also allowing our family the grace to know that on any given day, um, somebody might wake up and that structure just might not be possible. You know, there might have been a loss of sleep the night before. There might just be, um, you know, a different set of uh, solutions needed for that day. And so I think, too, there's also this, you know, create a routine and a structure, but also allow it to be flexible um, and that this doesn't have to look like school for them. It doesn't have to look like what their typical school day looked like. Um, it should look like what works best for kind of the your family's needs on that day. So I think there's like such an interesting note here too about the balance of those things. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think one thing that's really important is that I know at least for me, uh, and I'm sure this is true for many parents, if I see my kids lounging around, they got up at nine, they're, they're still in their PJs, you know, and they're not being productive. I know that my um, my energy level can get ramped up. And I can start getting into the nagging and the reminding and the bossing or the lecturing. Um, what I think is really important is, like I said, e even if you do it, um, have little morning meetings, um, but really get the children's say in what in what goes on, um, hearing their voices. So it's not a complete top down approach. You're going to get a lot more buy in. Um, and can we, if we let go of some of our nagging and our reminding and so on, uh, that allows the space for our kids to step up to the plate and actually do some of these things on their own. And many of our kids might do these things on their own, but they also might be challenged without, uh, you know, the structure and the routine of teachers guiding and um, directing them and having certain classes, uh, you know, blocked off at various times. And so, like, like you said, having a routine, but also being flexible around it and listening to your children, I think is really important. Yeah. And I know one of the things um, that we're trying to do too, is think about what are the blocks of time that we want to focus on every day and then allowing those to be flexible. So mm -hmm. having creative or an art block and a music block um, and uh, doing some math and some writing, but allowing our daughter, Charlie, to help us dictate when she is interested in a certain subject, um, but keeping to some of those times every day. And I think that's really interesting, too, as we think about uh, how that is creating sort of independence and learning to kind of advocate for themselves um, as they do go back into school. Like, How can they take some of this to be um, better advocates for their own learning, too? Yeah, I think that's really important. I, I can see this time as a really good opportunity to allow our kids to take more responsibility for themselves. Um, they will, 
have to be a little bit more self-motivated perhaps. Um, and so, you know, if we are, if we, again, if we step back, we allow them the self-motivation to come forth. Um, and the other thing is along with blocks of time, also perhaps switching up spaces, just as especially older kids move from classroom to classroom, um, you can have your kids move from room to room for their learning experiences. You know, maybe they do their English assignment on the couch and their math work on the floor and, you know, their history work in the bedroom. So they're, they're moving spaces, they're getting up um, and being active in between learning blocks as well. Um, I, I want to shift gears just a little bit. And for, for both you and Nate, just think about what um, kind of work should we be encouraging um, our kids to do? Should we set up a, a normal um, schedule that looks sort of like school? Or um, would it, should it be more project-based? How do you guys think about just organizing the work that, um, that we want kids to do if we haven't received much direction from, from school? Uh, maybe I'll take that one first, Tom. I think, um, I, I think many schools are going to provide direction. And the older the students are, the more direction they'll get. I think elementary school and early childhood are going to be the more challenged in that area. Um, and, and I think what, what we have been thinking a lot about is what are the big picture structures? Um, how are they? So some of the things I'm thinking about are outside of the, the um, students making some choices during a morning meeting is, is there time for uh, following something that they're interested in? Um, is there time for reading, which I think is deeply important, especially in those younger grades, but also in the older grades, um, when there's, when there's less structure coming from the school. So uh, is there time for uh, some sort of journaling and reflection? I think these things are super important. And even if it's a, uh, say a five-year-old who's preliterate and is not is just writing their name, et cetera, is that even if they're just drawing something that they see out their window, window each day, maybe they draw something in the morning and the afternoon. Um, so I, I think that there's some things there that I would build in when there are spaces. Uh, right. which tied nicely into what we call learner-centered in the K-12 space. Um, and uh, Rachel's talking a lot about following students' lead. Um, I mean, the only other piece I would add there is, uh, if possible, if you have access to outdoors in some way and it's socially distancing still, get kids outside every single day. Um, I think it's really important that we're not cooped up in our houses or apartments um, every single day. Now, of course, if that's not safe, then you can't do that. But if possible, get them outside every day. And that should be a block of time. It's just exploring with no agenda, especially in those younger ages. Yeah, I'm glad glad you talked about that. Boy, it's a real gift if if this for your family can be an opportunity for you to be outside a little bit more. In some places, the, the weather is just starting to turn a little bit. And just uh, what well, might be the first chance for a family to do a regular walk around the block and, and um, just notice um, things that you may not have noticed. I noticed, Caroline, yeah. you went for a walk with your kids um, yesterday and you were having a conversation about what, what you saw. So it could yeah. be a great opportunity to, uh, to be outdoors with your kids if that's at all possible. 
Yeah. And I think I've just been really impressed with the local museums and zoos that are offering um, kind of virtual place-based activities. If you don't, you know, for us, those are all closed right now. Um, Or if I wasn't in an area where I wasn't comfortable walking with my kids, um, it's been really uh, just amazing to see the quality experiences that I'm sure we're going to see more of them that are coming together. I know there's been um, lots of different Facebook lives and free access. Um, so it encourage people to take a look at those too, how you can, uh, learn about the outdoors, even if you're not in a place for weather or safety where that's possible. So Rachel, let's go back to, um, some parenting advice. So what, what if I need to get some work done at home and I have some phone calls or, uh, I have some meetings, how, how should parents try to manage around that? Yeah. Um, You know, that's where boundaries are really important to set up. um, And that's where the the brief morning check-in is important every day. Um, You know, this is when I have this and this is when I have that. And so you may need to like, hopefully, if you, hopefully you have a room that you could close off. So if you do have to have a virtual meeting, you can have a physical barrier between yourself and your children. Uh, you can even put a little um, sign outside the door saying work in progress. Um, make sure your kids are set up with um, what they're going to do while you're occupied. Um, and, you know, it, it, worst case, if you really have to, you bring the screens in if you have to. Um, that's that's not the first choice, but I also know that that's the reality. Um, and so, you know, when you set up rules or boundaries, it's, you you need to make sure the kids are on the same page for younger kids. This is going to be harder. Um, it takes them a while sometimes to understand the boundary and hold to it, especially if this is new and they may push back. Um, so, so really talking about it, making sure they repeat what, uh, what you just said, and you're all on the same page is really important. Um, so, so that's the gist of it with boundaries. Tom, I had a, a funny experience this morning where we are on a, a virtual call with my team, and and uh, a, a young child popped into one of our one of my team's um, video, and she uh, labeled it appropriately a meeting pirate. So I, I really like when we introduce new vernacular in these times of crisis, and uh, meeting pirate was something I had not heard before. So that might be something we need to use. And I think that flexibility is really important. Um, I don't know that any meeting is worth getting super stressed. And mad at your kids, and I think everyone will understand what's going on in the world right now. Um, so joking about it, I think, is really is really helpful. Anytime you can bring humor into this situation um, and some levity, I think, will be really good for the kids. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think too, just the we're holding these agreements as families, but thinking about the agreements we're holding with our teams at work too. And how we can give each other grace and flexibility. And we spent a majority of our team time this morning just talking about that and how we can uh, respect and honor the situation that each of us is individually in. So I think asking for that same level of kind of um, respect and grace from our teams at work when possible um, is a good place to start, too. Rachel, let's talk about the kind of um, feedback that you should be giving students on um, the, the academic work that they're doing at home? Yeah, it's, you know, it's so important. It's really easy for us as parents, for whatever reason, for us to notice all the things our, our kids are not doing well 
So it's easy to say, hey, you're on the couch, you're still using your phone and you're still in your pajamas, you need to get to work. Um, instead of doing that, let's start focusing on what they are doing well. Um, and this is a strategy called identify and anchor. It's something that my mentor, uh, long-term um, parent educator and author, Vicki Hofel, uses. Um, and identify and anchor is that you identify the character trait um, that you that you see your kids ex, um, exemplifying, and then you anchor it in an experience they're doing. So, so for example, you could say, "Wow, Charlie, you just had a lot of self control right there. I could see you really wanted to go to your phone, and instead you chose to do your math work." So you're saying, "Oh, self control." The kid is saying, "Self control. Self control is when I do something uh, that I don't really want to do." And I do it anyway, and I'm controlling my urges to do something that might be more fast, fun, or easy. Um, so you're acknowledging these traits that you hope your children grow into, and they start realizing, oh, self-control. I have self-control. I can have self-control in other areas. Um, so so it's, it's acknowledging what's going well for your kids and spending your time and attention there versus your time and attention um, on things that are a little bit more challenging. And it's amazing because the more you do that, the more you see those traits that you're hoping to develop actually developing. Um, and not only that, it's it's good for the relationship. When you are focusing on the positive, you're giving a pat on the back, you're smiling at each other, it's good for the relationship. Um, and, and I think it's really important to note that this is not just blanket praise. It's not non-specific, good job, nice math work. Um, you're so smart. It's noticing with real specifics the effort uh, and time spent into doing this, and that, and that, and a job that was well done because of the thoughtfulness that was put into it, or because of the restraint they showed um, in not, you know, going on the devices uh, and actually getting their work done. It's noticing the responsibility and the courage it took to be at home, you know, for days on end without seeing friends and without um, having the structure and direction from a, from a traditional school. That's great. Uh, Nate, any tips on uh, student motivation? Yeah, I was thinking about this as we were talking and, and such a different story with um, younger students compared to older students and uh, younger students, it's, it's following their lead and they're naturally creative and interested. Uh, but as they get older and older, I think the challenge is going to be much more around motivation and and how do we how do we how do they stay motivated? And I'm uh, enamored by the Transcends um, Learning puts out a put out a document in 2018 around learning sciences, and they talk about four different things. One is that the students have to see value in the work they're doing. Second is is that they have to have self efficacy, um, meaning they believe that they can do it or have the tools they can do it. Third is a sense of control, and Rachel's talked a lot about that in terms of choices um, and how they do things. And the last is around constructive emotions is, are they feeling positive? Uh, I think we have to imagine that if you're an adolescent and you're now home for a long time, uh, disconnected, at least physically from your, your friends, not necessarily digitally, um, and without the constraints and that a, a traditional school provides, is that, that there may be some strong negativity and reactivity. And so uh, I think it's helpful for both teachers and parents to go back to, are they seeing value? Are they building self-efficacy? 
Do they have a sense of control and are there constructive emotions happening? And, and Rachel, when I shared that with her this, today, says it really syncs well with what uh, parent, parenting education talks about as well. Yeah, that self-efficacy piece, it's um, its the, the knowing that I can do something, that I can enact change upon the world. Um, and so kids can't get that unless they are left to their own devices to do things on their own. And there are so many times when we swoop in and run in and we correct or we change or we save. Um, and that doesn't help kids learn that they can actually do things on their own, that they can fail and get back up again and survive. Um, so I think it's really important that well, I think this is going to be a hard time and it's going to be, I mean, in normal parenting circumstances, this is hard to do. Um, and especially in these parenting circumstances, it's going to be hard to not be micromanaging and just watching over our kids 24-7 because <laughs> we are in contact with them now 24-7, uh, at least if you're working from home. Um, so it's how can we step back how can we um, control our or manage or acknowledge our fears and anxieties um, about our children and their behaviors um, and really step back and let them let their their worlds unfold uh, themselves independently and we're there to support um, but we're not always there to correct or to save for, for both of you this um, as challenging as it is, there, there's some unique opportunities to really um, allow kids to take more responsibility for their own learning, maybe to dive into some projects that uh, on topics that they've been interested in. I'd love both of you to give me a quick um, idea around how to take advantage of this opportunity. Well, I think from a parenting perspective, and then Nate can maybe talk about some more specifics on what kind of projects or learning actually happens um, but it's setting the guidelines together. So anytime you are, uh, you've got a new agreement you want to come up with or boundaries or routines, it's always doing it together. Um, it's letting the child come up with their solutions. Um, it's not giving the solutions yourself. Um, and it's seeing what the kids can accomplish on their own. So, and then we support when we're needed, when it's needed. So, um, you know, if we're trying to teach our kids new skills, we, and this, this comes from uh, Julie Lithcott-Hames, uh, who wrote the book, uh, How to Raise an Adult. Um, you, you, you do the, the task while the child is watching. You do the task uh, while the child is helping. The child does the task while you're watching. And then the child does the task independently. And so that's how you're teaching a child a new skill um, in a scaffolded way so that they're supported. When we, when we tell kids, especially our younger kids, how to do something and we say, great, you've got it, go. And then we get angry at them because they haven't mastered it after a day. That's not realistic. Uh, that's not a realistic expectation. Um, and that can bring in all sorts of challenges between the parent and the adult. So really, we need to take the time uh, to train our kids, um, but then step back and really let our kids take the responsibility. And then, like I said, comment, wow, you mastered that task. How does that feel? And ask them about their experience. Um, 
so, so I think that's, you know, this is an opportunity uh, because we are with our kids so much, we will be with our kids so much during this time um, to, to step back and let our kids do things on their own. What would make this an, an interesting opportunity for kids? Yeah, I think I have a couple different examples of um, some things that, that uh, I've been thinking about. So for older students, it is uh, if you have the opportunity to, if you have a guitar that's been sitting in the closet for years and you haven't played it, this is a great time to learn how to play the guitar. Uh, pick up a piece of uh, paper and start sketching and drawing in a journal. I think with digital work where uh, where students often don't have time to do this because of busy schedules is um, start a podcast, uh, start a student-run newspaper done digitally, um, think about learning how to code. There's so many opportunities to do independent passion projects right now um, that that often we don't have time for. Uh, I also think that there's, there's some interesting things around building and the, the maker movement uh, that we could play around with is that uh, uh, thinking about can they take something apart and put it back together again? And that obviously has to come with the restrictions, but there's probably old appliances or things that are sitting around in the house that could possibly uh, be taken apart and put back together. Another yeah. one of my team members who, who is a, a really creative teacher uh, asked her very young daughter, who's an early childhood student, um, she, the, the daughter was just, she had a lot of questions because the, 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 the team member, my, my colleague had asked, like, what are the things you're interested in? And one of the things she was interested in was how the toilet works. And so they started adding food coloring to different parts of the water supply in the toilet and then flushing it and seeing if it came up in different places. And they ultimately were able to sketch out like, where does water go? Where does it come from and how that toilet works? Uh, you will never, ever have an opportunity to do that again, except under these types of circumstances. Yeah. So I right. see it as really optimistic. Those are great ideas. Uh, Rachel, what do you do when it goes bad? There's going to be meltdowns and really tough times. So how, how do we handle it when it gets ugly? Yeah, there will be meltdowns. There will be challenges, um, especially if you're cooped up in the house and you haven't seen friends and you it's just going to be it's going to be hard. Um, so when our kids melt down, that's, it's not because they're bad kids. Um, any kind of behavior is, is a communication. It's telling us something. There's a reason behind the behavior. So our job as parents is not to get mad at our kids for being angry or mad at our kids for saying no. Our job as parents is to try to uncover what's going on behind and underneath the surface. So when our kids melt down, they are in the fight or flight part of their brain. And if we come in angry at them, they're just going to stay in that fight or flight place. What they need from us is some understanding and some empathy. Um, hey, I know this is really hard right now. I can see how upset you are. And so that's helping the child realize that someone understands them. Um, they, they, what Dan Siegel will call is um, they feel felt. And so, and that helps soothe um, that emotional part of our brain. And the next step uh, is to help the child move on. Now, if they are totally gone, if they are totally in a knockdown, drag out, meltdown, um, helping them move on may not be possible at that moment. And they just need to ride that emotional roller coaster and get that uh, get that huge emotion out of this, their system. And you're there just to say, I know this is hard. Um, and I'm here when you're ready for a hug. And then when they come down, wow, you're back. And this is what Vicki Hofel will say. Wow, you're back. 
That was really hard. Do you want to tell me about it? And hey, let's go on and do something more interesting. And so you are acknowledging and understanding and helping them through that emotional time, but you're not also focusing on it too much that they learn that that's how they connect with you and that's how they get their attention. Um, and that's who they are. They're this sad kid who gets mad all the time and has these outbursts. Uh, you know, so you empathize, you understand, you support, but then you keep moving the action forward. So Rachel, I mean, to that point, I, I'm struggling with this and trying to figure out the best path forward too, is just how much do we talk about all this with our kids? And I know it probably varies by age and what they um, have exposure to, but how are you guys approaching that and, and what you're going to be talking about what's happening in the world and the financial impact and the social impact? Um, we just love your thoughts on how you plan to talk about this as a family and, and what to share, especially for younger kids who aren't having the exposure. They don't have cell phones and aren't seeing the news headlines or friends talking about it right now. Yeah, I think that um, as with any subject that is tricky um, or perhaps, you know, over over the heads of our younger children, um, you can go into it as much as they ask questions about it. Um, you, you don't have to go into all the gory details, but I think it's important to tell them what's going on and why. Um, yes, there is a sickness, a virus out there. Yes, we do have to be careful. Yes, we do have to wash our hands. No, we can't see our friends right now. This is really hard, but this is also how we're staying safe. And we are here. And, and I think it's really important for our younger kids and our older kids to say we are the big, strong adults and we are here to take care of you. And we were we are doing everything in our powers to do that. Um, so if you you know, if we as parents, which many of us may be feeling very nervous and anxious about this situation, I think it's OK to say that, but only but to an extent um, and and depending uh on the ages of our kids. Um, if you need support as a parent, um, you know, obviously your kids aren't where you go. You go to a friend or a partner or a colleague or seek professional help, um, you know, and support your kids when, where needed. Answer any question they have. Um, don't, don't, uh, you know, don't push things under the rug. If they're asking, they need an honest answer. Um, the, I think there's no there's no need or room um, for lying about anything here. But you do it in an age appropriate way, and you gear it toward the specific questions they're they're asking. That's great advice. Um, as we uh, start to wrap this up, I, I guess I, I just want to focus on relationships for a few minutes. It feels like such an important um, time as we all struggle with this uncharted territory. Uh, it, it feels like maybe the most important thing is to, to take the time to connect uh, with each other and especially with our kids. Do you add to that, Rachel? Yeah, for sure. You know, so if I'm in conflict with someone, if I am mad at someone, I am less likely to want to do what they're asking me to do. I'm less likely to cooperate with them. Um, and so that's, you know, you think about that with any parent-child dynamic. Um, if we're at odds in our relationship, then you might be seeing more behavior challenges or you might be seeing more defiance. 
So it always goes back to the relationship and that identifying anchor strategy is really, it's just one of the ways that really helps improve the relationship because the child is saying, oh, someone noticed me. Um, and, it, and it connects you and they, you're be, the child is being noticed in a positive way. Um, you know, because we are forced in the homes, in our houses uh, with each other for these extended periods of time, we can use this as an opportunity to connect, um, play board games. Um, a friend of my son's just made up his own board game. Um, be creative, have family cook-off competitions. Um, you know, you can even use recipes as math, uh, math lessons for your younger kids. Um, so, so I think the relationship is super important. And I think also, you know, while we're being told to stay in, in, in our homes, we do need to go out grocery shopping. We do need to go out and, and do some things. And I've just noticed in the grocery store, um, people being a little bit slower um, looking each other in the eye, even if they can't be close to each other, uh, and smiling a little bit more. I think right now is a time where we all need to step back and really care about one another, whether they're in our families or you know out in the extended uh, extended world. Uh, Nate, as we wrap this up, I wonder if you have uh, some closing advice for what uh, parents and and teachers should be th- thinking about this week. Yeah, I think two things. I think uh, one is because they're going to be overwhelmed. Teachers especially will be overwhelmed and, and parents of younger children with with the millions of resources that are flooding the Internet right now. And it's really hard to filter. Um, so uh, pick out one or two that work for you um, and think about uh, not ignoring the social emotional learning um, part of it. Uh, Greater Good in Education out of Berkeley has some really good stuff in that area. And I suspect we could put that in the show notes. The second thing I would say is that um, going back to place-based is for both parents and teachers is that truly learning can happen anywhere. So this is an opportunity for learning in, with, with, within your family, learning outside your direct house or residence, um, and paying attention to the things that we haven't had time to pay attention to before, whether it's family or the local place. That's, uh, that's great advice. And um Nate, I, I think our listeners all know you. I didn't properly introduce you, but uh, we we deeply appreciate your work as um, the innovation guy at the Teton Science Schools, and we appreciate uh, the work you're doing building Place Network, a, a national network of place-based rural schools. Um, are there any particular rural dimensions to this um, that that you want to close on? I think the, the big thing for rural is to recognize that nationally we have broadband challenges. And so the online learning experience is going to look different. Uh, and so that's even more opportunities to do things that are more connected to a local rural place. Get outside, understand um, your the learning may not be uh, um, as accessible in, in many rural areas. And so being more flexible with those rural teachers uh, and those rural students, I think, is going to be really important. Um, thanks uh, we, Nate we appreciate your work uh, Rachel Wigglesworth it's been a real treat to have you on the Getting Smart podcast uh, where can people find out more about your work yeah um, they can go to my website which is growinggreatfamilies.org 
Uh, you can email me at growinggreatfamilies at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook at great.families. We, we appreciate your smart and uh, thoughtful advice, um, Nate and Rachel. Um, Carolyn, closing thoughts on, on what's been a tough start to a week for a lot of families, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I think the hope here is that we will come out on the other side of this with a better sense of our family unit and our learners at home and our ability to advocate for them. I think we're also going to see some really amazing social good come from some interesting companies that we might not have thought of in that way. So just excited to see how communities um, support each other um, and also just holding space and energy for uh, those that aren't as privileged at this time and understanding that um, it is going to be really, really challenging and just trying to offer uh, hope and resources as much as we can. So continuing to be that voice and appreciate um, everything that you both said too. And just knowing that uh, home is going to look a lot different for everybody and we each need to kind of attach or approach this individually. So just appreciate it. And we'll all kind of get through it together. Um, For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Caroline. And Tom signing off. 